0: Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. The only way to stand on the Word of God and be consistent in its teaching is to find and to understand Bible authority for everything we do. You see, those people fail to understand Bible authority. The Bible clearly says that the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That being the case, it's not possible to set the time when he's coming. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, no one knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will return. It's not possible to set the day. So by Bible authority, I have the right only to teach that the Lord will come at a time when normal life is going. And at a time when no one is expecting it. That's Bible authority. And we continue that theme of Bible authority today, each month looking at another thing, another idea, uh, that determines how we do what we do by Bible authority. Today, Bible authority on the Lord's Supper. There are all kinds of different concepts about the Lord's Supper. Today, there will be people who will not partake the Supper at all in some churches. There will be some churches that will partake the Supper today, but won't do it again for a number of weeks or months. There are some who will partake it only one time a year there are some who look at the supper and they will take it any day of the week that they want. Plan special times and even during a wedding ceremony to take the Lord's Supper. The Bible teaches us by the concept of authority what we ought to do. Now, if you are visiting with us today, if you are new today, then what you have already observed in the supper is nothing new. We do this every week, week in and week out. And if you are wondering, well, why do you do what you do? Why is it that you participate in this event? Where do you find uh, the reason to do it? Well, then today, I plan to answer that question for you. I want you to think with me, if you will, about the Lord's Supper. First of all, I want you to understand that the supper itself is built upon the Passover feast of the Jews. You see, the Passover feast that the Jews participated in, beginning by God's rule in Exodus chapter 12, is exactly what is taking place in Matthew 26... When Jesus says, now notice this. You see, they were gathered together to partake of the supper. The Passover supper. And when the supper being ended, then Jesus said, now let's notice this. First of all, I want you to notice that the substances used in the supper are certain. We know what they were. First of all, we learn from Exodus chapter 12 and from Deuteronomy chapter 16 that God said to the Jews who were in uh, Egyptian bondage, he said, now here's what's going to happen. On this particular night, I want you to take a lamb without blemish and without spot, and you will slay that lamb. And you will take blood from that lamb and you will sprinkle it around the doorpost of your house. You will roast it with fire. And you will in your house with your family, unless your family is too small to consume the entire lamb, then you would invite another family. And with unleavened bread, you will eat this Feast because it symbolizes the fact that the Lord's deliverance is coming quickly. There's not enough time for you to make bread and have it to rise. And when He comes, all in the house, all houses that do not have the blood sprinkled around the door, will suffer the loss of the firstborn son. That's why you slay the lamb and why there is blood. And you partake this meal with your traveling clothes and with a staff in your hand. And when the meal and the night is over, the Egyptians will drive you out with great force and tell you, Get out of here. We've had enough. Go. And that feast, that Passover feast, when God... Passed over the Israelites, not finding death in their camp. God said, now you remember this feast. By tradition, that Jewish Passover feast, as I understand it in some reading I did, uh, entails not only unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. But there is another thing in Numbers chapter 9, beginning in verse 9, where God says that you will eat this feast with bitter herbs. The bitter herbs that I heard or saw named in this Jewish observance, uh, Mazor and Chazareth. And you would eat these bitter herbs... There was also something called um, karaset, which was a, um, as they called it, a pebbly sweet mixture. That's what they use. And then something they called karpas, least as I was reading it, which is the Greek word for fruit, but which was a, a vegetable or an herb that was other than the bitter herbs, and then they had, in the observance of the Passover feast of this day, something called za, which is a roasted egg. That was, that's the Passover feast as they are observing it now, apparently. In the time of Jesus, we know for sure that they had the unleavened bread and fruit of the vine, and they had bitter herbs as a part of their meal. We know that from those passages in Exodus and Numbers and in Deuteronomy. So when they gathered together to have this Passover feast, they participated first in that Passover meal. They would have partaken, they would have eaten from the unleavened bread, they would have had those bitter herbs, and they would have drunk fruit of the vine. That's what the Passover feast involved. And now we know what the Lord's Supper feast involved by substance. The substance is certain because on that very night in that very setting, Jesus said, now, now, take all of you of this cup. And all of you, this fruit of the vine and this unleavened bread. And as they would pass that cup around, more than likely they poured it in their own cups. Then they had the unleavened bread together. And now he said, now we're going to do something different. So that what was happening was Jesus was sitting there observing this Passover meal with at least three items, unleavened bread, fruit of the vine, and bitter herbs. But when he then said that he was instituting a new supper, he set the bitter herbs aside using only the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. Bible authority, therefore, says to me that I know what the substances were. It's certain that he used those two things in this new supper. And therefore, by Bible authority, that's what we are to use. We have no authority to add bitter herbs. We have no authority to update it and change it to something like hamburgers and Coke. We have no authority to leave one out and take only one. The only authority we have from the event of the night when Jesus set it up is to do exactly what we do with unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. Number two, the focus of the supper is clear. In the text of Luke 22 in the parallel text and also in Matthew 26... We find that there was a reason why they did what they did. Jesus said, we've already had this other supper. And now we're going to take this unleavened bread and this fruit of the vine. And now we're going to take this in remembrance of me. The focus should be on remembering the death of Jesus. He had been with them for two and a half to three years. And he was going to be taken away from them in violent means. And they were going to miss him and they would not know maybe how to go. They would feel as though they were flailing around with no direction. And he wanted them to remember this event from now on. And he said, you do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. The focus should be on the purpose of the supper. And the purpose of the supper is for us to recall what the death of Jesus was, what it involved, what it meant. When we are partaking of the supper, therefore, it seems perfectly right to me that that we we put our minds in a way of thinking about the supper and what was going on in all kinds of different ways. You could think about the the supper, the the actual death and, and the crucifixion scene and read or think about that. You could think about what does his death mean? What was the result of the death of Jesus? What did it bring about? Maybe you could concentrate on why did he die? What was the purpose behind his death? Why did he need to die? There are a number of things that we could do in in concentrating on and thinking about the death of Jesus that all would be called in remembrance of me. That was the purpose. And we should focus on that purpose. But we could also focus on, and I think by the design of how we see those early Christians doing so, there was another byproduct, if you will, of the supper. And this focus is that there was a unity of the brethren in the supper. Here we are all together as the body of Christ. Remembering the death of our Lord. It is also interesting that on this day, across the world, our brethren are meeting in different time zones and in different places. And we're all united in this one event of the Supper. And though that was not something that Jesus called attention to on that night, it is, in 1 Corinthians 11, the entire point of what was happening by error in the Corinthian church. They had gotten to the point in the Corinthian church where they were creating disunity in the supper. Instead of it being a time when they're all unified and thinking together and joining in communion, they, in fact, were separating and dividing themselves in ways that caused division and contentment. Contempt, that is, for others. Apparently, those who were rich were taking the emblems of the supper... And going off by themselves and having this big feast and not inviting everybody else who was too poor to bring anything. And it was creating a problem in the church. And Paul wrote to say that's not what this is about. This should be a unifying thing. And so in the supper, we understand that we're doing it by design and purpose to remember the death of Jesus. But there is also the attitude that we understand the connectiveness, the unity that is created because all of us here and around the globe are together in this ceremony. Therefore, We should take the supper properly. But third, Jesus teaches us by authority that the day of the supper is comprehensible. I can understand it. The text in Matthew 26 and verse 29 is interesting. Jesus made the statement, I will not drink of this cup until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, I know and you know that when you say the day, it could be general and it can be specific. In other words, the day of the Lord could refer to an era of time. But it also could refer to the day that the Lord returns, 2 Peter chapter 3. When you talk about the day of the kings, you're talking about the era in which the kings ruled Israel. But when you talk about the day of the appointment of King David, you're talking about a day out of all days. The question is, in this passage, what does he mean? Well, notice first, if you will, I will not drink of this until that day that I drink it new in my Father's kingdom. Jesus came, Matthew chapter 3, with the, or John the baptizer first began in his preaching, the kingdom of the Lord, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus taught. That the kingdom was coming. In fact, he said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 that, the king, that, the, that Hades itself will not prevent me establishing the church which was the kingdom. Jesus said to Peter, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. He gave him the keys to the kingdom after Jesus had said, And I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus built the church, gave Peter the keys of the kingdom. The church and the kingdom are the same thing. And we come to Colossians chapter 1 and verses 12 and 13, and we find that those Christians had been translated into the kingdom. So by the time of the Colossian letter, sometime in the 60s, the kingdom of God had come. I know when the kingdom of God came because the Bible tells me. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, the prophet Isaiah looked down through the portals of time and he made a statement that we can all understand. He talked about the Lord establishing His kingdom in the top of the mountains and His law to go forth from Jerusalem, and all nations shall flow into it. And in Acts 2, in the city of Jerusalem, on the top of the mountains, all nations came together to observe that Pentecost feast. And Peter stood to preach. And those who listened to that message and accepted that message and obeyed that message were added to the number. And the church kingdom was begun. So the day of the kingdom of God began in Acts 2 and we are still living in that day. It is the day in which the kingdom of God is here. So certainly Jesus was talking about in Matthew 26, the day or the time or the era when he would partake this again and he has in the New Testament era. But is it even more focused than that? I know this. Acts 20 in verse 7 says very clearly, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, continuing his sermon, preached until midnight. I know this. In Acts 20 and 7, they came together for the purpose of taking the Lord's Supper. It was their habit. It was their Tradition. It was what they did when they came together. Why did they do that? Why did they choose that first day of the week? What's so important about that? Well, I can think of some important things. The church started on that day, Jesus was resurrected on that day. God began the creation of all things on that day. That's the first day. I could put a lot of things to it, but this I know for sure. They did what they did in Acts 20 and verse 7 because they were taught to do it by the apostles, Acts 2 and 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In teaching, So why did they gather on the first day of the week? Because they were taught to do so. They were continually gathering on the first day, which is why in 1 Corinthians 16, when they were collecting the money for those who were in need, he said, look, you're getting together on the first day of the week, so just go ahead and put it together. Make it up. Collect it. And since you're meeting on a regular basis, be the perfect time to put this money together. And it's from that time that we also understand that we use the first day of the week for that. Collecting up and storing up monies that we need to do the Lord's work. So they were meeting on a continual basis on that day for the supper. You see, by Bible authority, I think the only way, the only way for us to stand on the Word of God consistently is to accept the authority of Scripture. On the first day of the week, every first day of the week, we will partake of the unleavened bread and fruit of the vine in memory of the death of our Lord and as a sign of the unity of the believers. Anybody else who does anything else is operating outside of the authority of God. There is nothing else in Scripture No other thing that can be deduced or understood from Scripture authorizing any other practice than what we have just discussed. Let us stand on the authority of the Word of God as we have been doing and as we will continue to do concerning the Lord's Supper. But as was read earlier, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. He committed his love toward us. And as sinners, we needed that death. We needed him to give his sacrificial life for us, for the blood to cover us and to take away our sin. And just as those Israelites who did not, or anybody who did not have the blood over the door when the Lord passed by, If we don't have the blood covering us today, when the Lord passes here again, then we will be lost. The death of Jesus reminds me that I'm a sinner and that I need His forgiveness and the remission of sins from His life. And therefore, anyone today who is willing to accept that gift from God, to be immersed in water, to have that sin removed and to be covered by the blood of Jesus or to have these people pray in your behalf, we're here for you today. You will come as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.